latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. In this edition of our podcast, we will break down the ACC with Seth Greenberg, ESPN college basketball analyst, former Virginia Tech coach. Garrison Brooks from North Carolina, the ACC preseason player of the year. Jay Huff from Virginia. So two bigs on this podcast. Huff could have stayed in the NBA draft, decided to come back. Uh, March Chadness, that's uh, Chad Acock. He'll be along to look at the top college players uh, in the NBA draft this week. My Cats ranks, we're going to look at the last 10 number one picks, and I'm going to rank them in terms of how they were as college basketball players. But before we get there, we got major news. Major news. And I think it's great news. Great news amid a pandemic. The NCAA has announced that the 2021 NCAA tournament will be held in one region, likely one state, potentially one metropolitan area of Indianapolis. The Final Four will still be at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indy. So that's positive. This had to be done. There is no way, no way, the way the virus is raging right now, or even if it somehow came to a complete stop, there's still no way in a short amount of time to guarantee the safety to ship teams, officials, players, and staff in a couple months' time all over the country on short notice to compete in the tournament. You're dealing with multiple state health protocols, restrictions. It just would not make sense. So they had to come up with a plan. It was convenient that the Final Four was scheduled for Indianapolis this particular year. You got the staff there that can scout all the facilities, and it's going to be a controlled environment, not a bubble. So what does that mean? That means you're looking at certain areas you can go. Hotel, practice facility, arena, if they are different. That's probably tier one. And that may include broadcast media, key staff personnel in terms of operations to put the thing together logistically. And then there'll be other tiers. And your freedoms, for lack of a better term, or more places you can go to, probably will be based on what tier you're in. But you know what? If we can have a great product and a tournament, that's fine. And it, you know, it served no purpose if you don't have to shift the dates because this way, it's March Madness. You also have to remember, we'll see what happens with college football in the NFL, but so far, and maybe baseball sort of, the other events from the restart did not land on the exact times and the ratings took a hit. People want March Madness in March. They want the Final Four in early April. CBS, television partner, still planning on televising the Masters that week after. Indianapolis, site of the Final Four, still planning on hosting the Indy 500, which takes up two weekends in May. It's not so easy to just push things off. Also, you've got lodging that has already been booked that if you were just to push it off in a traditional sense, you can't just necessarily say, I'm going to have lodging in all these other cities. So there's a lot of plans that have to be made. In this new format, there's plenty of hotel space in the state of Indiana, certainly in the metro area. You're going to save on flights, more busing for a lot more teams that can get there. And if anything, maybe we should have started a week earlier, but you don't want to start in February, as some have proposed, and cut off November, December, and January, especially December and January, when the majority of these campuses may be ghost towns. And so the likelihood of viral spread goes down dramatically. You want to try to get in as many games as possible. I know, 
right now in this moment during the surge, there's probably a little over 20 programs that have had to shut down or pause and cancel some early games already. I get it. But the majority have not. You know, in the power schools, Minnesota may be the only one. You add the Big East, you can throw in UConn and Seton Hall. College football is plowed ahead. Yes, a bunch of SEC games were canceled, but others were played. Wisconsin missed two weeks, came back, throttled Michigan. So it's all doable. And I think this is the solution. As for the Ivy League, that was other news that happened. They decided not to play this winter. The Ivy League is the only league in the country that I think can avoid to not play any athletics and it won't be hurt financially. They don't need it. It's awful for those athletes. I hope they get their scholarships honored and get an extra year. The NCAA has already done that for everyone else. I hope the Ivy League is on board with that. But what this means is we're probably looking at 37 at-large spots instead of 36. We'll know more of these details later. But we're going to, according to Dan Gavitt, Senior Vice President, Charger Basketball, Mitch Barnhart, the Kentucky Athletic Director and Chair of the Committee, we're still going to have a 68 team field. And by the way, Selection Sunday will still happen on a Sunday, but the tournament's not going to start two days later like it did normally in Dayton on that Tuesday. It's probably going to be the weekend because everyone's got to get there, test. There's going to be protocols. But then once you're there, you don't need to wait and take off Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And for some teams, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because they didn't play till Friday, Sunday. So once everyone's there, you can condense it a little bit more over those two weeks before you get to the Final Four weekend. I think it's the right thing to do. It may, be a, may have been the only thing to do, but it's the move that will make sure we've got an NCAA tournament in 2021. All right, let's transition to the ACC. Here's my interview with Seth Greenberg. And now joining me here on March Madness, my good friend Seth Greenberg, ESPN College Basketball Analyst and a former ACC coach, a pretty good one at Virginia Tech. Uh, so, Seth, uh, for the ACC. Obviously not that good. I'm talking to you. <laughs> you had your moments. So, for these purposes, Seth, I like to go on the preseason kind of tiers. So, I'm going to break up the ACC into some tiers. Then we'll talk about maybe the all-ACC team. You can agree with me, disagree with me. I want to hear your opinion. Uh, I trust it. I value it. It's better than mine. So I just want to give us some talking points. So I'll start with tier one. And to me, the tier one, you could make an argument that any one of these four potentially could win the league. And to me, that tier one has four teams, Virginia, Duke, Carolina, and Florida State. Your thoughts? Yeah, I think those four have separated themselves. I mean, Virginia, I think the one thing about Virginia you've got to worry about, now they shot it better at the end of the season, but I mean, they really struggled shooting the ball last year and they haven't gotten a, that much better. Sam Hauser will make a difference. His versatility, his shot making, they're going to miss the Akite's defense and his defensive versatility. The thing I worry about with Virginia, and not that I worry about it, I mean, think about what they did at the end of the season. I think they won 11 of their last 12. The thing I worry about is, Shot making, and they've got to take better care of the basketball. They turned over 20% of their possessions. So much pressure on Kihei Clark to make plays. They'll have a little bit taken off his plate. Uh, look, you can't argue with those four. You look at, you said Duke as, as another one. I mean, Duke, Duke is a bigger question, Mark, because they're losing their heart and soul. I mean, Trey Jones, I mean, he did so much for that basketball team. He willed them to games. They were an elite def uh, defensive team last year. In fact, one of the best defensive teams Kay's had in a long while. It started with pressure on the basketball. 
with Trey Jones. They had an inside presence in Vernon Carey. They don't have that inside presence right now. They're a little bit of an if up front. Matthew Hurt's got to take a step forward. An X factor for this team is going to be Jordan Goldwire. I know a lot of people are talking about Roche, and you know what? He's explosive and quick and can make plays. But Kay always has one of those seniors that steps up and gives them leadership and has maturity, coaches their locker room. I think Goldwire could be that guy. And then Jalen Johnson. Now, didn't have a great senior year, but ridiculously talented at 6'7", six, 6'8", six, wing scorer that can make plays. Matthew Hurt needs to be productive this year. And they need to get something out of Williams or get something out of Coleman. Those two freshmen that can play up front. Coleman more of a hybrid forward wing player, and Williams, a seventh-footer that is limited offensively. All right, so Carolina and Florida State, you feel good about keeping them in that group as well? Uh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, when I look at Carolina, I think Carolina, obviously, last year was an aberration. Uh, interesting, three straight years, Coach Williams could have a one-and-done point guard. Caleb Love this year, obviously Kobe White, and Cole Anthony. So that, that's an interesting thing, because you think about Carolina, you think of continuity. And continuity, most important position now, continuity is the point guard position. And they haven't had that. Injuries and shot making. Anthony Harris has got to make shots. Someone's got to make shots. Leaky Black's got to take a step forward. I mean, Leaky Black kind of teases you. You know he can defend. He can facilitate some. He's got to eventually give them a little bit of scoring. Love their front court. I mean, with everything that went wrong with Carolina last year, think about this. Plus 7.6 on, on the glass. They were a dominant rebounding team. Garrison Brooks emerged. Armando Baycott was good. Kessler and Sharp are going to be very good. Their front court's as deep as any in the country. And then my man, Leonard Hamilton, the dude does not age. It's ridiculous. Six turning guys that played double figure minutes for them last year. MJ Walker, obviously this is his time. Scotty Barnes. All right, think about this, Andy. Two years in a row, they're going to have first round draft choices, multiple first round draft choices. All right, Scotty Barnes, it's going to be three years in a row because Scotty Barnes is going to be a lottery pick. Scotty Barnes at 6'9", kind of a, a point forward, can do a little bit of everything. But they've got other pieces. I think Walker has a breakout year. I think Paul Light gives him consistency. A little concerned at the actual point guard position. But what Len Hamilton's done, remember now, they're the reigning ACC champions. All right. So we agree on the top four. Then I have a huge tier two. Well, it's a huge league, Andy. Yes, I know. But a lot of times I could break it up into three or four tiers. But to me, it's really three. So here's my tier two, basically. And I think you could... They could go in any order. Louisville, Georgia Tech, NC State, Syracuse, Clemson, Miami. So first question is, of that group of teams, which one you think has a chance to get into Tier 1? Hmm, that's a really tough question. I can tell you who has a chance to be in the Tier 4. Easier than I could have a chance to get into Tier 1. You know, I'm high on NC State. NC State's got to have point guard play. Obviously, Markel Johnson gone, C.J. Bryce gone, two scores that can make plays. But I do like who they have coming back. Jericho Helms, I think he's going to be better this year. Obviously, Funderburg is a tough, tough, tough matchup. Manny Bates protects the rim. I think that they could really be solid up front. Look, they've been in the top five in turnover percentage for since Kevin Keats has been there. They've won 20 games a year for the last few years that Kevin Keats has been there. Can this be a breakthrough? I think that last year, I did their Duke game. When they were good, they were really good. So... I kind of like NC State. I like Syracuse. Again, experienced players, dynamic backcourt. They've got to rebound the ball better like they always have to rebound the ball better. 
I think Kadri Richmond is going to be a, a big influence. I think as a, as a wing player that can go and make plays. I also think Griffin from Illinois, the transfer will give him really good quality minutes. They've got a little bit more experience. Buddy Behan, you know, people can say what you want. That dude is a big time player. Dolzai is as versatile a baseline player and playmaker from the forward position. Uh, I think Syracuse is going to be very good. You say Louisville to me, I say, wait a second, Malik Williams, 12 weeks. They could be closer to tier three than tier one. I know, you know, they've got pieces. David Johnson is a 6'6 point guard. Samuel Williamson's got to take that next step. And I think he will. Carlick Jones, the transfer from Radford, it's a step up. I know he scored 20 points and five assists and shot it well, but it's still a step up. And then he's replacing, if he's going to have the ball in his hands, well, David uh, Johnson, he's best when the ball's in his hands. But my concern is what are they going to do up front? I mean, there's a huge concern. Miami, I like. I like Miami a lot. I like their backcourt. I think their backcourt is legit. Chris Likes is, is just dynamic. And Earl Timberlake is going to be a big, physical, tough guard. But they got to defend. Man, that was the worst defense I've ever seen a Jim Laranaga pack line team defend. They've got to defend and they've got to rebound. If they can do those things and, you know, they had that injury early in the season, that's for sure going to hurt them. That was one of their best defense players. Now, Nasir Brooks, the transfer from Cincinnati, will give them some front court protection and will give them some rim protection. So I think that will be interesting to see the impact he has on their team. But I like Miami's team and I like Clemson's team some. All right, so you forgot one, which had a really good regular season last season and finished above 500, and that's Georgia Tech. See, I tell you, I'm not as high on Georgia Tech as I Okay. They are not a good defensive team. They're a terrific defensive team. I mean, there's no, they run you off the three-point line. They're backward Alvarado and DeVoe are very good but they don't take care of the basketball. So as good as you are defensively, you can't turn it over. Like the art of the upset, Andy, is take people out of transition, check. Right? Take them out of the comfort zone offensively, check. You've got to rebound the ball in the defensive end, and you've got to take care of the ball. Those are two things that they just don't do as well. Their offensive turnover percentage is ridiculous. They turn it over 22% of their possessions. You can't do that in this league and win at the highest level. So I think if they can rebound the basketball on the defensive end, and Moses Wright, one of the most improved players in the ACC last year. I look at Alvarado. I look at DeVoe. I look at Usher. I say, you know, you guys are really good. And obviously, they had some injuries. Take care of the basketball, and you're an NCAA tournament team. Don't take care of the basketball. You're not going to win the games you need to win, especially in this type of season, to be an NCAA tournament team. What's your take on it? Yeah, I mean, they do return, and I agree with everything you're saying. Their core is back. I think they're going to have the added motivation of being tournament eligible. Uh, So I think that will help them a lot. Um, You know, they got a good schedule early. Hopefully it gets played. So they're in that group. As I said at the beginning, I think you could put these teams from 5 to 10 really in any order. And And Clemson's interesting because they got Newman and they got Sims, one of the best players in the league. And the P.J. Hall, the freshman, the big kid, uh, kind of a below-the-rim player, but a big physical body that fits Brad's style of play. And look, that team always defends. They're another team they got to make shots. So then the question is, Tier 3, unless you tell me this should be broken up, I've got Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, Pitt, B.C., Wake. I think Notre Dame could maybe slide up. A team that's sneaky good, uh, and maybe I'm biased, but once the tab comes back, 
And he plays the way he did this past year, which I think is is really important. And this kid, Rich Kelly, the transfer Quinnipiac, kind of facilitates and takes care of the ball. BC's got a solid, solid perimeter game. And then Stephon Mitchell had a really nice season last year. So they've got some pieces to compete and, and be better. Pitt, they've got to get the kid from Miami of Ohio eligible. I mean, they, until they get him eligible, they're still missing a piece or two. They're another team that really, they defend, but they really struggle shooting the basketball. So I'm interested to see what happens with, with that team. Wake Forest, they're developing an identity. They're obviously a little bit away, but no doubt about it, Steve Forbes is going to get it done at Wake Forest. He might not be Skip Prosser and Dave Odom, but they're going to win games. So what do you like about Notre Dame and Virginia Tech? Notre Dame is the one I think could sneak up. I think they could, you know, kind of move up. I think Prentice Hub, obviously, is going to be good. I think Leshevsky is going to have a, a really, really good year. I think Leshevsky is a kid who can make shots, who can make plays. Hub has got to do things. And then, you know, Cormac Ryan, the kid transferred from Stanford, he's got to give him consistent minutes. I think Dan Goodwin's got to give him consistent minutes. I think that They've got to find someone up front to compliment Juan Durham's shop locking, and he's got to stay healthy and stay out of foul trouble. The one thing Notre Dame, I go back to the same thing, they don't turn it over. If they're making threes, they are a year older. I thought Hub made a huge step forward. I was worried about him for his first year coming off that knee surgery. I thought he did a better job of decision-making, facilitating, scoring, and he was more consistent last year. But, you know, they've got a chance to, I think, maybe slide up to tier two. And what about Virginia Tech? Virginia Tech's just not there. Cartier Diara, the kid from K-State, I think he's going to help them. I think that Mike Young will do a good job. I think that, you know, that obviously they spread the court, they shoot threes, they make threes. I still don't think they have enough up front. Cordell Pencil, the transfer from Iowa, I'm not sure he gives them enough up front to make that jump up yet. But I do think that Mike will do a good job and uh, he'll, he'll recruit tough guys that compete hard, that play hard, that play together, and they'll always shoot the ball. All right, in terms of an all-ACC, not 10, but five. Ooh. Garrison Brooks, for sure. He was preseason ACC Player yeah. of the Year. Amir Sims, for sure. Yes, without a doubt. Okay. Do you put MJ Walker, for sure? Uh, Scotty Barnes, so for Scotty sure. Barnes, for Scotty sure. Scotty Barnes is going to have as big an impact as any player uh, in the conference. Sam Hauser, for sure? It would be Hauser or Kihei Clark from that team. Sam Hauser is going to put up bigger numbers. He rebounds the ball. I think he's going to be great in that system. I mean, because you can put him so many different places. He can be, you know, Sam Harris is interesting because I think he's, his best position is a three, but they might play him some at four. got to remember, they got to replace Braxton Key and Mamadi Diakite. So they've got to figure out how they're going to use him. They played Braxton at the three last year, remember. So I think Hauser, I think that you look at, is it Jalen Johnson? Because he's going to be, you know, he could be a leading scorer for Duke. I mean, I think that's a possibility. It could be Buddy Beheim if Syracuse has a great year. Chris Likes? Yeah, Chris Likes. It could be Alvarado. It could be DeVoe. I DJ mean, Funderburg. DJ Funderburg. Here's the thing. I, I think the league, I mean, it's not, it's not down, but it's, it doesn't have the 8,000 lottery picks that it, it normally would have. I think what it does have is it has really good balance right? in terms of players. I think it's got very, very good balance in players. I think every team has multiple guys that you go, on any given night, that guy could get it going. Multiple, which is interesting. We know Garrison Brooks, all right, that guy. But let's face it, Carolina's going to be as good as Caleb Love. Caleb Love's good, then Carolina's transition game is good. Then those guys are playing post-to-post. Then the wings are getting out and running. They're getting easy baskets. Then they start to see bigger baskets. So I think it's going to be hard. I think, you know, I hate preseason all-conference teams for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
I don't think freshmen earned anything yet, and yet I just put Scotty Barnes on the team. College basketball is a whole lot harder than it looks on TV. And two guys emerge. I mean, like I had two guys. I had Jamon Gordon, Xavier Nadell. Jamon Gordon was ACC defensive player of the age. Xavier Nadell was the first team all league. All right, coming into that season, no one thought either of those guys would get that. But they earned it. And that's the thing. In that league, you got to earn it. I'm more interested in getting to the season. And I think the sooner, the better. And I will say, much like the Big Ten, the ACC potentially, I would say 11 teams enter the season. Now, others may feel this way, but... I think 11 legitimately can say, you know what? We got a chance to make the tournament. Big 12, ACC, Big 10. Big 12 is loaded. Absolutely loaded. Big 10, obviously, with great depth, although you have to watch and see what happens with, like, say, Purdue and, you know, Adam Miller and some other guys that they need to gain depth. But uh, I think the Pac-12 is going to be very good this year. I think across college basketball, we have a lot of good teams. And now we've just got to, obviously, get to the starting point, which, I, you know, just a little commentary. I totally disagree with Rick Pitino. I think the sooner we start, the better off we are. When students get off campus, we'll be able to create bubble-type environments. The more open windows we have, so when games are canceled or games are delayed or we have contact tracing, the better off we're going to be. So I, I think that the safest place these young people can be is on campus. Andy. The safest place these young people can be, and it sounds crazy because if you started late, do you send these kids home? Well, if you send them home, then you can, you're starting from scratch. They've been practicing since July, basically. To not play a game till January, there's a mental health aspect that these guys have to look forward to something. And they've been looking forward to the one normalcy they could have in their lives at the start of the season. And you take that away, that's like unplugging them. And, and I, I think that'll be really unhealthy for these kids. No question, Seth. I think we're going to get there. We'll get our start. And the ACC will be, yet again, one of the best leagues of the country. Appreciate it, Seth. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. And now here on Katz Ranks, looking at the last 10 number one NBA draft picks and judging them on their college careers. Let's start at number 10. Anthony Bennett played at UNLV, finished in 2013. Um, Had a good time at UNLV in terms of a, a solid career there, uh, albeit brief, but you know, obviously he's not had a great NBA career, but I know this is based on college, but on this list, he's got to be at number 10. At number 9, Markel Fultz. 2017. Didn't lead University of Washington in the NCAA tournament. Jury's still out on him in terms of the NBA. At number 8, Andrew Wiggins from Kansas. 2014 was his year at Kansas. Uh, Led them in scoring, but they didn't get past uh, round two in 2014. So he checks in at number eight. At number seven, Kyrie Irving from Duke, 2011. Didn't play in a lot of games. He was hurt. So we can't necessarily put him too high on this list in terms of his college career. Can't judge it on the NBA career. What he did with Cleveland, Boston, or soon Brooklyn. At number six, Ben Simmons had a solid year at LSU um, in 2016, but they didn't make the NCAA tournament. So he can't crack the top five for me. Gotta at least be in the tournament. At number five, DeAndre Ayton from Arizona, 2018. They got upset early in the NCAA tournament, but Ayton had a dominant season for Arizona, an immovable force in the post. So he makes my top five. Now, here's where it gets interesting. At number four, 
Carl Anthony Towns from a regular season undefeated Kentucky Wildcats in 2015. They made the Final Four before they lost to Wisconsin. Uh, this was tough to put Cat at number four. At number three, I went to a fellow Kentucky teammate, John Wall, in 2010. I really loved that 2010 Kentucky team. Ultimately lost in the Elite Eight to West Virginia. But I just thought on that team, John Wall was a little bit more important than Carl Anthony Towns, but you could go either way with either one of those two. At number two, Anthony Davis, 2012. He won a national championship. He's got to be in the top two. Question is, should he be number one? And I debated this. But the impact that Zion Williamson had on Duke and on college basketball, even though they lost in the Elite Eight to Michigan State, it's hard not to put Zion number one with the kind of season he had, even though he got hurt for a little bit of it. Uh, I think you just have to put Zion Williamson number one on this list of the number one NBA draft picks the last decade. That was 2019. Zion Williamson one, Anthony Davis two. And that is your Cats Ranks. And up next from North Carolina, Garrison Brooks, the ACC Preseason Player of the Year. And now joining me here on March Madness, March Madness 365, Garrison Brooks from North Carolina, the ACC Preseason Player of the Year. And Garrison, you have earned every accolade. When you came out of high school, what were your expectations for yourself at this point in your Carolina career? Uh, being honest, I truthfully didn't have any. I thought that I could do anything, of course, but I just knew I had to work extremely hard because North Carolina prestigious program can get any recruit in the country, and I knew I had to work hard every year. In what way have you seen your progression improve from each year to the next? Yeah, I just, um, personally, I just add something to my game every year and see myself getting better in every aspect of my game and help my team get better and leadership also. Where, where do you think you've seen the most growth? Scoring inside and leadership, of course, because of how much I talk now compared to my freshman year and just how much more comfortable I am with the guys on our team and, and just being able to be there for our guys and, pretty much tell them things that they'll never know what they wouldn't know as a freshman uh, because I'm a senior now. So how hard was it to be patient uh, because so many people want it to happen just like that? I mean, it's not very hard for me. I, I understand it, it takes time, especially here. Um, you see Luke May didn't have an explosive year and show how good he was until his junior year. And I mean, I understood that and that's fine. Uh, I just had to wait my turn and work as hard as I possibly could. You know, the other thing is your versatility. You really can play all over the floor. I mean, uh, not necessarily the point, but I mean, uh, you know, you can face up, you can score in the post. In what ways have you improved your game in that ability to be used in different positions? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much just keep doing what I'm doing, working on my game every day. Ball handling, knocking down face-up jumpers, being able to guard also on the perimeter. That's just something I try to do and try to work on every day. All right, so last year you played with Cole Anthony. Uh, he got hurt, so you weren't able to play with him the whole season. This season, Caleb Love, um, what's been the difference in terms of um, being fed and, and finishing on the break? I mean, they're both really good point guards, really good scoring point guards, of course. Uh, Cole's a little bit more athletic, sees the whole floor. I mean, Caleb pretty much gets something down really quick, pushes the ball a lot faster. 
just they pretty much get everybody involved. But I think Caleb gets people more involved on the break. You know, and even go back before that, you had Kobe White. So, I mean, you've had some good point guards to uh, to learn under. Um, last year was an anomaly. I mean, that's not obviously what happens with Carolina. How, how much has that driven this group? Uh, it, it drives me every day. Me and Coach Williams especially, uh, that's all I think about. Um, getting out there, proving everybody wrong to show everybody that that's not who we are and show that we're a lot better and win those games that we were supposed to win last year, win them close. And I don't know, it's it's a bad taste. I mean, that's, that's not who we are. So this season, the off season was like no other, obviously. It's unprecedented times. Uh, how were you able to work on your game and, and stay focused amid a pandemic? It's not very hard to stay focused if I, if I have a place to work. I was at home in Lafayette, Alabama able to go to high school. Also had a trainer help me get in the gym, uh, Devin Mackey. So that that helped a whole lot. Um, I don't think he gets enough credit for just being able to open up a gym for me and trying to help me be the best I can. And, you know, at this point, Carolina's campus is not what it normally is. It's not bustling. Um, What's life like for you on a daily basis uh, as you travel sort of, I'm sure, like in your own little bubble? Yeah, it's uh, Zoom, my car, the gym. That's, that's pretty much it. It's not what I'm used to. It's uh, it's not what I imagine my senior year would be like. But it's a uh, very small travel, very little interaction with other people. And it's okay. It's what I have to deal with now. And everyone does. You know, in terms of leadership, uh, how much are you putting on your shoulders as a senior to say, look, if we want to have a season, this is what we got to do. We can't stray from this. Yeah, um, so fortunately enough, it's, it's not just me emphasizing that. It's uh, Walker Miller, K.J. Smith, Andrew Playtech, those guys, uh, those older guys. And they understand that the sacrifice we have to make to have a season. And I mean, I think we're all on the same page. How much do you, uh, you know, can't wait to get to that at the end of the rainbow here and hopefully we all see it uh, come March? Yeah, I mean, it's, that's one of the, if not the, it's, that's the thing we live for. That's uh chance to win the national championship, a chance to be remembered in history forever. And um, that's, that's something I, I get excited about right now, man. ACC preseason player of the year. How does that sound? Uh, it sounds really good. Uh, I'm not going to say it means – I mean, it means something. I mean, people think highly of me, and I think it, it means something now. But, I mean, unfortunately, it, it had, like, a, a good day. Yeah, like, everybody knows, like, your preseason player of the year, but, like, after that day, I, I pretty much let it go. Well, obviously now, it's another challenge. Uh, I mean, you didn't used to have expectations. Now you do. Uh, so obviously that, but you clearly are ready to handle something like that. Most importantly, stay safe. And we can't wait to see you on the court in some meaningful games again. Yes, sir. Thank you. You too. And now joining me here on March Madness, Virginia's Jay Huff and Cavaliers picked to win the ACC yet again. Expected to be one of the best teams in the country yet again. Jay, you had a decision to make, uh, even pre-pandemic, I guess, uh, about whether or not to come back and maybe to stay in the NBA draft. Why did you decide to return to Virginia? There were a lot of factors that played into that. Basketball was certainly a big part of it. You know, I was trying to decide, you know, if I ended up in the G League, there was no guarantee of a season. There was no guarantee of a season here. But a big part of it ended up being the fact that I got married. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been, I think, seven or eight weeks now. So that was a big part of it, you know. Um, But at the same time, you know, I just had to make a decision, you know, about my future as well. And I felt like coming back for another year gave me a great chance at that. So, So Jay, 
big men, especially in the offseason, freshman to sophomore, sophomore to junior, keep going up. That's really where they start to blossom, and you can see that growth. And we've seen it certainly in leagues like the ACC, Big Ten, et cetera. Um, but this was, aside from getting married, this was a very difficult offseason to get better. So how did you? Yeah, there was a lot that I had to do that was a little bit unorthodox. You know, I didn't have access to a weight room most of the time. So I would do at-home workouts. Our strength coach sent us some stuff, like some equipment to use. But on the whole, it was pretty um, pretty minimal. So what I tried to do instead of that, you know, I got into some yoga just to work on, you know, flexibility and strength and that sort of thing. I also picked up uh, wood chopping. My family took down a tree in our front yard one day, and I just kind of decided to pick up an axe that we had and start swinging it. And it was actually a really great workout. And I was chopping wood for a really long time one day. And that was like the first day I ever did it. Like, oh, I feel great. Next day, I couldn't move. (laughs) (laughs) It was still a great workout. And I plan on getting back to it whenever I can. All right. So I'm totally unfamiliar with that. What muscle groups really hurt that next morning? Everything. I mean, mostly like your core, your back. It's definitely hard on your back. Like if you if you don't swing right. So you got to get like the technique down. It's hard on like the triceps, arms, hands, even like your hands. It's almost like swinging a baseball bat with no gloves at, at some point, especially if you hit it wrong. Um, there were a couple of times where I hit it and missed the blade completely. And it, it just stung my hands like crazy. So it's a great full body workout. I'd highly recommend it. Have you recommended it to Tony Bennett? Um, I think I've mentioned it to him. He hasn't uh, put it into the new performance center that we're working on, or Coach Curtis has, and either our strength coach, but I'm going to have to make that recommendation. All right, so we got wood chopping, we got marriage. You've had an eventful uh, downtime here. All right, look, on the court, with yourself back, Kia Clark, Sam Hauser eligible, you know, I fully expect you guys to defend the way you do. I know Coach doesn't feel that yet, but offensively, how much better an offensive team will this team be? Yeah, I think we've made some strides in a lot of areas. Obviously, having Sam back is going to be great. We've added some new offensive schemes that will kind of allow us to space the floor a little bit, um, drive, uh, drive and kick. Uh, obviously, Kihei's great at that. It'll really play to all of our strengths, which is going to be really good. Uh, and I feel like we're going to be efficient, which is, you know, something that we've at times lacked but made up for with our defense. So I think that's going to be a big area of improvement. You know, technically, you guys are still the reigning champs. Uh, I'm yeah. curious how often that gets brought up. People make that joke from time to time. Yeah, it's a fun mantle to still hold. That's weird that that was the last NCAA championship because that feels like that was five years ago. So to that point, none of us got the tournament that obviously we all wanted. You didn't get a chance to have an ACC tournament or a finish one, I should say. How much has that driven you and this group to get to that you know, the end of the rainbow here at the end of the season. I know it's going to be hard to navigate to get there, but just to make sure we've got one of these again. Yeah, honestly, I think we prepare the same way almost every season. You know, we prepare to just play defense as hard as we can and put ourselves in a good position to get there. I don't think we think too much ahead in terms of like getting ahead of ourselves, but I do think that's always kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. So it's a weird mix because you don't want to focus on that too much. Uh, but yet at the same time, that is the ultimate goal. Well, and I know that normally. I meant because you guys had no opportunity last year. Yeah, that's that's fair. I do think that based on how we ended last year and how we were kind of on a roll, I think we want to try to continue some of that momentum despite some of those guys not being here. 
So, and the last thing, uh, you know, before you can get to the ACC, who knew if there was going to even be non-conference games? But right off the bat, you know, you've got Villanova scheduled in December, Florida, the Mohegan Sun. Uh, the Villanova game is supposed to be in New York. We'll see if all this works out. ACC Big Ten Challenge. We've got a Hauser reunion, Joey and Sam with Michigan State coming in. Hey, if all this can happen, great. But how much are you hoping to at least get a chance to play some of these high-level games uh, before you even get to the ACC? Oh, my gosh. That would be great. I mean, like you said, that just kind of depends on if things work out. And part of the, what made the decision to come back to school so hard was just because I was a little bit pessimistic in terms of, like, us being able to even have a season. So luckily it looks like we're in a good spot. You know, football has been doing well for the most part so far. Not many college basketball teams that I've heard of have had too many issues at this point. So it's, it's huge. And I'm really hopeful that we can continue that and that, you know, other teams will continue to handle business. We all hope so. Uh, congratulations on the wedding. You know, if, if memory serves now it was after the season, but the last Virginia player that got married in that same year won a national championship. That was Kyle Guy. Uh, that was after winning a national championship. So maybe getting married is good karma for Virginia to win a title. I'm going to have to recommend that to the rest of the guys on the team. Just tell them to get married as early as possible. I keep, I've been joking with them some like, hey, if, you're, if your girlfriends start giving you the eyes and, you know, whenever a K Jewelers commercial comes on or something like that. Just know, like, I, it wasn't my intent, but it'll probably happen. They're probably going to start thinking about it. Well, I think, hey, it's working so far for Virginia. Jay, appreciate it. Stay healthy, stay safe, and hope to see you soon. Appreciate it. Thank you. And now it's time for March Chadness. Chad Acock from Turner Sports joins me. Well, on the eve of the NBA draft, Chad, we're going to look at the top college players from last season. We had a full regular season. People forget that. We had a full regular season, just to not have a full postseason, uh, entering the NBA draft that was once supposed to be in June, then maybe over the summer, then they had a date in October, and now November 18th. Take it away, Chad. All right, let's do it. Yeah, we're looking at your guys that played at least half a season, most of the season. So naturally, this will exclude James Wiseman. Uh, it's not really fair for you or us to rank him based on three games at Memphis, even though he's a hell of a player. We left him out of this list. But let's start at number 10. Big name to start it off, Cole Anthony, son of the NBA star Greg Anthony. What do you like about Cole's game that he makes your top 10? Well, he'll end up being the second straight one-and-done point guard at Carolina following Kobe White. They may have three in a row in Caleb Love. We'll see what happens. But yeah. look, he has exceptional speed on the break. Obviously, that fit perfectly with Roy Williams' style. He was not able to play the full season due to injury, but played you know, a large chunk of it, made an impact. And I do think because of his NBA genes, his professionalism, that he'll get it. He'll understand where he belongs and that you can't teach speed and he can get end to end. And I think he'll be able to blend right in as a backup guard to start. Yeah, it's a good point. I think he'll definitely have the experience and he knows the ins and outs of the NBA just from his dad that a lot of guys don't have uh, that perspective. So, yeah, I, th I agree. I think he could be a solid rotation guy, backup guy to start off with just because of that experience alone. At number nine and number eight, you got a pair of Florida State Seminoles. We've got a Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams, kind of two different types of guys. You know, Devin was a three-star out of high school. Patrick was a five-star. They're both in your top ten. What do you like about uh, this combo from the Knowles? Well, once again, people have to remember, Florida State won the ACC. And the ACC, for whatever reason, is more about the tournament in terms of announcing who won the championship. 
but they won the ACC regular season title. And it's because of Devin Vassell and Patrick Williams and Trent Forrest. But those guys obviously were the backbone of that team. You mentioned their rankings coming out of high school. Devin's a great example of a player under Leonard Hamilton who just completely made himself into a lottery pick. And, you know, we've seen the work ethic, the way they defend. It translates well from Florida State to the NBA. And I think both players will have an impact in the rotations wherever they land. Yeah, that Florida State team was such a well-rounded team. I mean, Devin was the leading scorer, but he only had to average you know, 12 points a game to be the leading scorer of that team that, that won the ACC. But let's go to number seven. You've got Kyrie Lewis Jr. from Alabama. This is a guy that replaced Colin Sexton a couple of years ago. But the wild thing about Kyra Lewis is he's played two full seasons of college basketball, and he doesn't turn 20 until next April. So he played his entire freshman season at the age of 17, when most guys are, you know, obviously 18 going on 19. My question for you is, do you think this extra experience at a young age has helped him to develop into a potential lottery pick here? Yes, and I think he'll end up being in the back part of the lottery. But what I think will benefit Kyra is, to your point, he's got that game experience. As we look at the rookies for this class, and we'll keep you know saying this, they're not going to have a normal rookie season. There's no summer league. There may not be a G League. And so they're going to have to really be patient and be ready to go when called upon. And obviously, it's a big jump from college to the NBA. But that game experience that Kyra has had at a young age, I certainly think will benefit him. Yeah, I agree. Now, number six, we're staying in the SEC, and we're actually staying in the state of Alabama. Isaac Okoro out of Auburn. Last year around August, I actually had an Auburn staffer kind of tell me, hey, look, you know, Isaac might be the best on-ball defender in the country. You know, He could guard one through five, just an unbelievably uh, physical player. And at the time, you know, I knew kind of what everybody else knew about him that, you know, hasn't really seen him play. He's, you know, top 40 freak athlete. I was like, okay, cool. He'll be a good player. But then he really just kind of exploded, probably played harder than anybody in the country when he was on the floor. Now he's considered a, a top 10 pick. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think you, you laid it out. I mean, he's sort of a jack of all trades. I think teams that will really love seeing a player like that, you know, could it end up, you know, and this is why we talked about him being in the lottery. But, you know, I'm just thinking about teams that are toward that area, whether it's New York or Detroit or Washington or Phoenix, you know, any one of those sort of that seven to 10 range teams that, um, you know, either weren't in the playoffs, close to the playoffs, they're going to want this kind of player that can do a little bit of everything and is going to give great effort. Is he a Marcus Smart type player? Maybe. Maybe he doesn't do one thing great, but does a lot of things really well. Yeah, and Bruce Pearl's teams always play really hard, so that's even more impressive that you know his motor just stands out on that kind of team, especially as a freshman. Now let's go look at your top five. Number five, you've got Aaron Neesmith out of Vanderbilt, and this is a guy who probably had the quietest breakout season in college basketball. Uh, you know, first off, as a freshman two years ago, he was forced to step up when uh, DG to PG, uh, Darius Garland and uh, Simi Shitu, both got hurt for Vandy. And he was just kind of forced to really step up. They didn't have anybody else. So he averaged, you know, 11 a game, but his percentages weren't great. Both under 40% field goal and three-point percentage. Fast forward a year later, and both of those percentages are over 50%. He's averaging over 20 a game, and uh, he was fifth in the country in scoring. The problem is nobody saw him do it because Vandy finished dead last in the, in the SEC. But what should the country know about Aaron and uh, what he brings to an NBA team? Well, everyone says he's the best shooter in the draft, and if that's the case... We've seen what Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson did for Miami. Could he do the same? My sleeper pick in the draft is Aaron going to Dallas, which would be huge for the Mavs if they got a player like that. 
if he could deliver in the playoffs, what we saw from Hero and Robinson, then Neesmith could really be an X factor next season or this upcoming season. And it's all because of his shooting. Yeah, shooting always seems to translate. Number four, Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Uh, This is a guy who probably could have gone pro last year, but it's such a deep draft that it probably made more sense for him to wait till this year. But as a freshman, he totaled 125 assists and just 28 turnovers. With more usage, that number, you know, jumped a little bit, but he still had a strong assist to turnover ratio above two. I'm curious what his three-point percentage will do. You know, he shot over 40%, but it's a little bit of a slow release and You know, a lot of it's just catch and shoot when he's open. But uh, Andy, what do you like about the lengthy guard? Well, yeah, he has an unorthodox shot. Not like Lonzo Ball, but it's kind of close, almost like a slingshot at times. Mm -hmm. But he's tall for his position, lanky, great reach, and really a heady player. You know, I think he'll blend in really well in kind of that late lottery range you know, could he have gone to Phoenix before the Chris Paul trade? Maybe. Will he still end up there? Probably not. But I think he could be a really strong player in any one of those teams that certainly need depth at the point guard. Nice. Now, number three, we've got Onyeka Okongwu from USC. Uh, the big man finished first in the Pac-12 in field goal percentage uh, at 61, almost 62%. He had a top 10 efficiency rating, and uh, he really likes to attack the glass. He finished second uh, in offensive rebounding percentage in the Pac-12. What do you like about Okongwu for him to make your top three? I love Okongwu. First of all, he's got great character, and I think that'll blend well in a locker room, especially if he ends up going to a rebuilding team. But just great raw talent but can score in a variety of ways. I think he's just got star potential. Yeah, he can score in a variety of ways. I think he was number one in true shooting percentage as well in the Pac-12. And here's where it gets interesting. We're kind of down to two guys, Anthony Edwards and Obi Toppin. If we're talking about a guy who has the best NBA potential, you'd probably rank Ant-Man number one. But if you're talking about who is the best player in college basketball, best college player, obviously it's Obi. As they say, there ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. But you have Obi ranked two and Ant-Man one. Kind of break down your decision factor and how you kind of, you know, separated these two guys. All right. So first of all, this is a tough call because I think Obi Toppin could end up being the best player in this draft. If he were to go to a team like Cleveland, staying in the state of Ohio, I think he'd be a steal. He's a high flyer. He's earned it. He's worked for it. Tremendous effort to get to this point. And there's a lot of great character in this draft, but he certainly is near the top of this list. So I love Obi Toppin. I think the fan bases will love him once they can hopefully come and see him. (laughs) Right. Uh, Anthony Edwards, obviously, you know, he may continue a trend, Chad, where we've seen three players, at least two others that I'm thinking off the top of my head, Ben Simmons and Markel Fultz, who went number one but did not play in the NCAA tournament. Now, you could say, well, there was no NCAA tournament. Fine. But Georgia was not going to be in it. So still, that trend, I think, still would be there. But I wouldn't blame Edwards for not delivering his team there the way you could shift a little bit of the point the finger a little bit at Fultz and Simmons with what happened those prospective seasons with Washington and LSU. But Edwards is a big-time scorer. I think he's ready for this. I think he you know, wants to be the number one pick. And I think he'll embrace this role and all the pressure that comes with it. Yeah, I'm curious to see how Ant-Man really, it's so different last year. Last year, he was on a bad team. There's no sugarcoating. He was on a bad team. So the motivation to play hard or to try to win, it was really gone early on when it was really clear they weren't going to do much in the SEC. They finished second to last. So that's hard to translate. I think a lot of scouts, you, you read up, you know, his motor may not always be there. Or is he just a straight line driver? But then Anthony recognized that in a lot of interviews that I've seen where he says, 
yeah, I recognize that. Like I am admitting my own faults and that is something I'm working on. I want to be the number one pick. Like you said, he really wants it. And I hope that's true. I can't wait to see how he looks different from the college game of the SEC to a pro team. But it'll be fun to watch. We'll see where it gets picked. So, I mean, I think it's a great list. And I think college players, especially older players, are going to do well in this draft. A couple guys that we didn't even mention that I think will be a hit. Isaiah Stewart from Washington. You know, the trio of players from Arizona. Josh Green, Zeke Naji, and Nico Mannion. Jalen Stick-Smith from Maryland. Precious Achua from Memphis. Cassius Stanley from Duke, Trey Jones from Duke, Tyrese Maxey from Kentucky, Jaden McDaniels from Washington, Jordan Wara from Louisville, Elijah Hughes from Syracuse, Sadiq Bay from Villanova. I mean, look, plenty of these guys are going to have an impact on this draft and, you know, potentially get in rotations and get some run. Now, Andy, off the top of your head, who do you like as kind of the best senior that we saw last year that could get picked? Cassius? Miles Powell, who do you like? Who are you looking for in that kind of second round, late first round range? Well, I would go with Powell. He's a little bigger than Marcus Howard. Howard is a better shooter. But, you know, Cassius Winston, what could potentially derail him is, you know, he's not as athletic. I'm going to give you a sleeper senior. I'm going to tell you a sleeper senior who I think could get in the first round, doesn't have a lot of buzz, but I could totally see him making the roster and being a backup point guard. And his name is Peyton Pritchard. Ooh, I like that. Great tournament experience, too. Also, he's got great experience of playing with a revolving door roster. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he played with over 30 players at Oregon in his four-year career. Oregon players have a good rep, but Pritchard has been so solid. And low ego would facilitate. Just hold me to that, Chad. He's my sleeper, late first-round senior that goes. Yeah, I like it. We can revisit that if it uh, if it turns out to be pretty successful. We'll be looking for that. So there you go. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, Chad, I appreciate it. Hey, we are a week away next week. Man. We're going to have some college basketball. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let's do it. Appreciate it, Chad. Thank you. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. And as always, I want to thank our Turner Sports team, Chad Acock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team that helps put together the podcast, amplify the podcast, continue the engagement. Next week, we got games. It all starts next week. We'll talk then. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>